Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat. And if it sounds like I'm a little bit more chipper this morning, it's because the Pittsburgh Penguins have finally ended the longest losing streak of the Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin era. They win 4-1 to over the Washington Capitals on national television Wednesday night. A big win for the Penguins, a big win for Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby, who finally got some help from the secondary scoring, and, and some help as well from uh, some lineup decisions, some new guys coming into the lineup, namely Jeff Carter returning from injury and playing pretty well, mind you. So Horwat, let me ask you to start this off. What did you think of big Jeff Carter in his return? He looked good. I didn't. I forgot that he's a penalty killer, so I kind of was a little thrown off whenever I saw him get the assist on the shorthanded goal. I just something I totally forgot about. Um, but man, I mean, you know, he did about everything a third line center could do, and that is chip in on a chip in on a good assist for a shorthanded goal, and otherwise not be honestly overly noticeable. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of a, ideal for the depth forwards, but. You know, when you come back from an injury, we still don't know exactly what it was, and we never will, but hey, who cares? He's back, he's back in the lineup, he's old, but hey, he looked decent, and you can't be mad at that, right guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looked pretty good. I mean, overall, just a solid performance. You mentioned his assist on that shorthanded goal by Brock McGinn. A great play made there by Jeff Carter, and that's the thing. With the bottom six struggling as much as it was, we understand that Jeff Carter is never going to be, you know, LA Kings 2012-2014 Jeff Carter. He's not even going to be, you know, Pittsburgh Penguins first iteration Jeff Carter. He's just not going to be that guy. But he does have those offensive instincts and he can still make the plays that when he does and you take advantage of it like Brock McGinn did, it it turns into positive stuff for the Penguins. So he collects an assist for Jeff Carter. Uh, But also, I mean, underlying stats at 5-on-5 was impressive as well. 60% of the shot attempts for went on the ice, and and 64% of the expected goals for. Not to mention, and this goes into the penalty-killing thing, 63% in the face-off dot. That's something that they always fell back to last season when he was struggling. He's, hey, he still wins face-offs, which is big for the penalty kill. And you saw it actually play dividends on on Wednesday night because a lot of his face-off wins on the kill led to immediate clears, which which helped the penalty kill look better, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, I thought Carter overall... I mean, if he plays like that, great third-line center. But we also know that playing consistently like that is not something that we can really expect from the man. No, not at his age. It's hard to get any sort of consistency from someone at his age. And, you know, he still might be a questionable decision to have in the lineup full-time anyway and have been brought back on this new contract. But that's a different conversation because what we have now is him in the lineup, him on the team, and that's what you have to discuss you have to discuss him being a positive attribute to this to this organization and uh so far you can't complain that much i mean we talked about last season just how not dreadful but just how hard he was to watch at times defensively but then you remember and you look at the on paper numbers oh yeah the dude can still kind of produce he's not a bad player by any stretch of the means it's just sometimes his positives get outweighed by awkward negatives um and it's a matter of finding a good balance with that just because his positives might continue to decrease a little but we know he's still going to be able to produce pretty fairly i mean 
in his games played this year, how many points does he have? Like, what what is his stat line through ten games? Seven points? You don't totally hate it? No, especially as a third liner. Yeah. Like it, when the Penguins' bottom six has struggled as much as they have, you'll take you know what seven points in ten games. That's exactly what you want uh, from your third line center. So good on Jeff Carter for for getting back into the lineup. Uh, he had an interesting uh, response to Michelle Cracciolo's question about whether or not he'd play on Tuesday. Uh, just the veteran, you know. We'll see. And then the smirk afterwards. You gotta love it. Uh, he's a little prickly with the media, but that's that's what you expect from from Big Jeff Carter. Uh, somebody else that got into the lineup yesterday would be Philip Hollander, making his season debut, his second ever game in the National Hockey League. Played one last season. I. Uh, he did take that hit on the head from Connor Sherry, which regrettably was probably one of the most memorable things that happened to him. Luckily, he went back and played in the game. Uh, it was kind of interesting that 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 hit from Sherry only uh, resulted in a two-minute minor, but I do think the circumstances of the game might have played into that a little bit with it being on national television and the refs not wanting to completely end the game by putting the pens on the power play for the entirety. I wouldn't even say that it was national television. I would just say it is just the inability for the NHL to protect its players. There is a bigger conversation here that we would be having that we would have started the show with had um, Hollander actually been injured because the two-minute minor was literally called as the penalty was called on the ice as two minutes for a hit to the head. Um, Illegal check to the head is the literal term being used for this penalty. If that's the term you're using... That should be an automatic five. Either lighten the term and keep it at two minutes and just call it interference, which is whatever you want to do. But when it becomes an illegal check to the head, that anytime something like that happens, it's a phone call from player safety. Why is that only two minutes? I don't care that it was national television. I don't care that it would have put the Penguins on the power play for the next five minutes and Washington would have like two to work with. Don't care. It's... It, that's just dumb on the NHL's part. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming. I almost said NBC because it was pretty much an NBC broadcast. <laughs> I'm not blaming TNT. I'm not blaming the Penguins. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming the Capitals either. I'm blaming the NHL for just lack of care that they continue to show. The fact that that's what you called it and it's still only two minutes. Guess what? You get the same amount of penalty minutes for the, for what Connor Sheary did. I'm not saying it was good or bad i'm saying he'll probably get a call from player safety anyway um that's that's the same amount of time on a penalty as you accidentally had seven men on the ice Mm. same amount of time just saying so whether it's national tv or not dumb dumb move by the nhl stupid hit by shiri we can also say that real dumb yeah it wasn't even it wasn't even accidental it was the chicken wing too yeah yeah it's uh (laughs) Man, it's, without Tom Wilson in the lineup, someone's got to take over, I guess. But yeah. that was brutal. And it was unfortunate for Hollander because he was bent over when the contact happened. Because if he was anything other than bent over, Connor Sherry probably would have elbowed his sternum because of how short he is. But um, regardless, you mentioned it might be a suspendable play. I don't remember if it was either Keith Jones or Eddie Olchek on the broadcast literally said, that is a suspendable play. I can't believe it's two minutes. Uh, yeah, like, but that's how it's you know, written in the rule book. apparently. Illegal check to the head. Two minutes. Yeah. 120 seconds. Are you kidding? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it that was an interesting one. Uh, I wasn't as upset about it because it did look like the, the contact wasn't as heavy. It looked like his chicken wing came out, but it, he didn't really make a lot of contact. 
Luckily, Hollander was okay. Uh, he ended the night, Hollander, with 11 minutes and one second of time on ice, but he led all Penguins forwards in penalty kill time, and when the penalty kill looked as good as it did, you have to give Hollander some props, despite the fact that at 5-on-5, five five, the fourth line produced nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. literal <laughs> zero. Like, 0% Corsi 4, which means there were zero shot attempts for the entire fourth line in seven minutes of ice time. Uh, they got caved in at five on five, but the one thing that they did really well, though, is they kept all of the opportunities for the Capitals to the outside. And that's something the Penguins did as a whole against the Washington Capitals exceptionally well, which was the shots came from the exterior of the zone and Casey DeSmith and the Penguins allowed zero second chance opportunities. I thought the Penguins defensively played really well. I think Hollander can be thrown into that category. You would like to see at least a shot attempt uh, by that entire line. But uh, at the same exact time, him leading the Penguins forwards in penalty kill time on ice and leading all Penguins forwards with three block shots. You know, for a guy that was playing on the fourth line, you want more, but that's a good start for a Philip Hollander who really jumped in to a fourth line that's that's not good made up of yeah made up of ryan paling who is what he is josh archibald who's getting over an illness and philip hollander who's playing in his second career nhl game against a really tough team to play against in the washington capitals because even though their depth doesn't have much scoring one thing that depth does do there is bang bodies and make it tough to play against they do <clears throat> they do it's just hard whenever no one else around you can do anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, you do want to see that shot. Do you do want to see a shot attempt? But man, it's it's tough. I, one thing that's interesting about the fourth line though is every time I see them, they seem to be at least being solid defensively. No matter who that combination of people is, like you just mentioned, Philip Hollander, um, on the with the penalty kill minutes. Every time I see them though, they always seem to be in the offensive zone, maybe not creating offensive opportunities, but keeping it away, keeping it away from uh, opposing offenses and making sure they're not shooting the puck. So I think that's at least a victory in itself. Sure, there's no production coming, but um, sometimes you just need that good shutdown line, and no matter who's on the Penguins' fourth line right now, it might look totally different in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. There's a steadiness to be had there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the Penguins' fourth line, you you do hope that, you know, this isn't the norm, that they don't get shot attempts. But for one game in in which you needed to play very defensive, especially in the third period, and we'll get to that, you needed to protect the house more than anything else, you can live with that if they're making sure they're playing responsibly and playing well in the defensive zone. Uh, The other lineup decision that was made was Sullivan hitting shuffle on the defense. We'll discuss that later because it got thrown out the window. Um... But I do want to talk about the penalty kill because we have harassed this penalty kill since the season started and then they played an absolutely near-perfect game on Wednesday night. But before we do that, I meant to mention that coming up a little later in the show, we have Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. Uh, We had a sit-down discussion a couple days ago about the Pittsburgh Penguins, some of the areas they need to improve upon. Of course, this was before the victory and the end of the losing streak, so you'll, you'll feel a little bit more doom and gloom in the second segment, but that's just because we recorded it before the game against the Washington Capitals. Uh, But with that, let's talk about this penalty kill because it played a major factor and you were talking about it and we talked about it on Monday's show. What will be the catalyst? I'm going to say that there was a specific kill 
and a specific sequence, which might be the catalyst. It definitely was the catalyst for the Penguins' victory on Wednesday. But it might end up being the catalyst that turns the season around based on the way that it was going. So the kill goes 4-for-4 four four on the game against a team that, you know, they are injured. You don't have Oshie, you don't have Backstrom, you don't have Carlson. But you still have some guys out there. Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, uh, Johansson is very dangerous on the man advantage. And the penalty kill not only goes 4-for-4, four four, not only kills everything off for the second straight game, but they looked confident. They looked aggressive. And... They shifted the momentum most importantly in that second period. Because once the Penguins scored to make it one to nothing on a listen, a lucky bounce by Jason Zucker, but you're gonna need puck luck. And I also believe that the Penguins have created some puck luck with the way that they've played the last two games. They get that 1-0 lead. Alex Ovechkin takes it upon himself to start playing very, very physical, very clean, but very physical to try to get his team back in the game. And guess what? It resulted in a power play because he blows up Jan Ruda. Ruta takes the retaliatory penalty. Uh, Caps go on the power play. Ovi is doing exactly what he needs to do. And then the momentum shifts because the Penguins don't let it go in the Caps' favor. Shorthanded goal by McGinn. We discussed it. They kill off the penalty aggressively and confidently and with style. And then all of a sudden, right after that, they kill the penalty. Jeff Petrie scores to make 3-0. And at that point, if it wasn't for all of the injuries that the Penguins sustained, which we'll get to, the Penguins had taken complete control of that game. They had. It was. I'm trying to pull up the numbers on how many. Like, because we just the power the penalty kills seem to have just damn near shut the Capitals down, which is hard to do when it's the Washington Capitals. Yeah, it's not the same uh, <clears throat> lineup we're used to seeing, but we were able to really get on top of them. And I mean, they had what one, two. Oh, well, they also only had two shots on goal. Uh, for all of their power. So it was an ugly night for both power plays. But, yeah, the... Oh, sorry, there's more than two in there. Is there? I don't know. Regardless. Regardless, it was brutal for both teams, um, especially for the Capitals, though, and giving one up for themselves and mm. letting an opportunity get created. It was... the You're right. That is a big momentum shift because... Not only were the Penguins able to shut down what could have been a great opportunity for the Capitals to gain momentum in a at at home, you know they're battered and bruised too. They are looking to really turn things around. They're looking for their own catalyst. It was good for the Penguins to shut them down at that time and make sure uh, they built momentum back into their favor. And with that, I mean, the Penguins now, the last two games are 7-for-7 seven seven on the penalty kill. You got Jeff Carter back. I thought Philip Hollander on the man disadvantage looked really, really good out there. And I thought the defense played well uh, in particularly, too. Um, not to mention the fact that Casey DeSmith, like you said, only a couple shot attempts for. But he looked like he had much better positioning, which is something I've harped on uh, for all three of his starts. And it's actually interesting with him is... His start was 0-3-1, which is identical to the start that he had last season, and everybody was calling for him to be gone. But his save percentage and his actual numbers are way better than that. The team in front of him has just failed him, and he hasn't been able to make the timely save. Well, he was able to make a couple timely saves on Wednesday, gets his first victory of the season, but it wasn't without uh, a little bit of nerves because the Pittsburgh Penguins at one point had three defensemen that were all injured in the third period with, you know, you had the lead. It was three goals. Then it was cut to two, which you hate to see. But at the same exact time, I thought the team defense 
stepped up in particular, but let's start by talking about the team injuries because Pierre-Olivier Joseph leaves early in the second period. He's being evaluated for a lower body injury. Jan Ruda, because of that hit with Alex Ovechkin, left the second period with an upper body injury. Jeff Petrie then left in the third period after taking a hip or making a hip check and just awkwardly landing with that. He fortunately came back onto the ice, but there was a time where Penguins coaches were looking around saying, so forwards, anybody confident in playing defense? Jeff Carter took a shift on the back end. Evgeny Malkin apparently moved down the bench and said, I'll take a shift back there. It was going to be dire straits for the Pittsburgh Penguins and actually was uh, for a couple minutes there in the third, not to mention the fact that they played with four defensemen for the majority of this game. Yeah, it, it, playing with that, that few defensemen isn't easy. And Jeff Carter did have to take that shift um, on the blue line where it was ugly. It, it, I mean, it was an ugly look for that lineup seeing just Latang on the iPad and someone else sitting next to him on your defense. It's, mm-hmm. it's a scary thought because then you realize that on the ice right now as a forward who can play, who's trying to play defense. And I think Carter's a decent choice. Like I said before, he, I forgot he kills penalties. Uh, so you at least have that sort of thing going for you. He's the veteran guy who has that tons of NHL experience and can just use what he learned. He doesn't have to play great defense, but he can kind of try and utilize what he's learned before to create some sort of uh, defensive ability. Luckily, it didn't have to last very long. They pumped Petrie full of something, sent him back <laughs> out there and said, your knee is fine, yeah. kid. Um, just because we needed a body out there, really. I mean, there was one point, I mean, I don't know how much he is or isn't injured regardless, but um, it seemed like there was one point where Petrie wasn't, not lollygagging, but I, I can't remember the exact play, but there was a dumping that went over his head and he just didn't turn around. He said, I'm continuing to skate backwards. My line mate can grab that because mm-hmm. my knee is whatever. We couldn't even tell what happened. It looked just uh, not innocent, but it just didn't seem like anything physical to it. Almost as if he had pulled something in it. Um, but yeah, regardless, he's you know, he skated afterwards and kept the Penguins with four defensemen rather than three. Still brutal, but um, if you're going to get a momentum-creating win, this, that's how you do it. And also, that is Ty Smith's music. Yeah, that 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 begs the question, then, who draws in for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Rue Weedle is the obvious answer. Uh, hopefully, Jeff Petrie is okay, so they can at least build off of a base of three. Uh or four, I should say, not three. Uh, Build off a base of four, then add Chad Ruedel, and the question then becomes, you know, is it Ty Smith or is it Mark Friedman? Uh, Considering the fact that Mark Friedman would have to go through waivers and was outperformed by Smith, if neither of those guys, P.O. Joseph or Jan Ruda, are able to go for the back-to-back games coming up uh, in in Canada, then you would imagine that Ty Smith does get the call-up. The one question then is, you know, if that happens, there's actually two questions. Does Poulan or Hollander get sent down because you need a roster spot? And does that delay Teddy Bluger even more? Because if Teddy Bluger comes on, unless somebody else going goes on LTIR, but if tel- Teddy Bluger comes off LTIR, then they all basically have to get sent down. So does this delay Teddy Bluger, or does another player, one of Joseph or one of Ru- uh, Ruda, end up going on LTIR in exchange to force the hand, in which case it would probably have to be Ruda because he's the one with the most cap space? I would say it probably just extends Bluger's stay. Yeah. Because you don't know what these injuries are for 
but you don't know how the length of these injuries. We don't know, and we're not gonna know either way. By the way, until ugh, Friday, maybe because they canceled. Yeah, Friday is the next time they, they practice, canceled so. practice for today, so we're not gonna get any new information. Great, and that's a morning skate too. So it's not like you're gonna see very much. It's all gonna be on what you hear from Mike Sullivan, and I would expect similar to what we've seen this season, where it's they're continuing to be evaluated for the first four or five days if it's anything serious. Yeah, it, we will most likely know if. What's going? Hey, a big tell today is going to be call-ups. Big tell yeah. today, obviously, going to be call-ups or uh, transactions of that of that stuff. I would say this most likely extends Bluger's stay on the LTIR, though, just because you don't know the extent of the injuries for these defensemen, um, and if they're able just to come back within whatever the LTIR minimum is, I forget. Um, mm-hmm. If they're able to come back before then, well, then don't waste their time p- putting them on LTIR because you can just, at this point you can yank Bluger whenever. Um, so you have that ability It hurt. It sucks for him. Like, we do not know what's going yeah. on with him. But yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating on our end, but imagine his end. Yeah. It's, it's real frustrating because he just wants to play. And he's been in full capacity for what seems like a month now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's hard, but hey, you know, sometimes you got to take a business side to this. It's a bit of an interesting business, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I would say this just kind of extends Bluger's stay there. If those two do have to go down, I think you'd probably see Ty Smith get the call up, and I bet Poolan to send down. Like I said before, I think it's best to get Poolan playing than it is to have him in the bo- than in the uh, press box, and this is a good opportunity for – because you had to keep him up for the last mm. few games. You had to keep him up to step in uh, – like he did uh, against Seattle. He had to play. So now you're able to send it back down, get him in a full-time position down there to mm-hmm. be on the ice. Hollander, you're gonna, you can continue to use if you need to, or he becomes a healthy scratch, or Kapanen stays as a healthy scratch. There's a lot of options up here now. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then you got Ty Smith probably called up. If you need to call up Mark Friedman, you call up Mark Friedman. Depending on how all this goes, a lot of maneuvering needs to go. I would expect some of that to come down today, though, if moves do have to be yeah. made. Yeah. Um, so yeah. keep an eye out, I guess. Yeah, we shall see what happens. And I, you know, we haven't even discussed the fact that Kasperi Kapanen was a healthy scratch on Wednesday in Washington. Uh, but we'll have to we'll have to save that and see what happens uh, with his situation over the weekend with two games coming up. Uh, but before we we send it over to the Jesse Marshall interview, I do want to mention one last thing: the team defense in the third period was phenomenal by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Down two defensemen, up by three goals in a position where they have given up leads in the past couple of games. Uh, they give up only two high danger chances. In that third period, there were several close attempts to extend the lead by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Maybe not as much offensive push as you would like to see. But again, when you're as shorthanded as you are and you're so focused on trying to help that defense core out, you don't expect too, too very much. And then the one other thing I do want to mention as far as team defense, the Crosby line. Uh, Raquel was on there instead of Russ because Russ got a fighting major. But the Crosby lines shift with three minutes left and Ovi on the other side. Their ability to hem the caps in for about 40 to 45 seconds and waste an Ovechkin shift late in that game. Just pure hockey brilliance uh, by Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, and Ricardo Raquel there. The, the, the way that they were 
moving the puck low, keeping it low, protecting it, just all things great. And I talk about that more in my takeaways piece that you can check out at InsideThePenguins.com. But we're going to take a quick break when we return our interview with Jesse Marshall. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We're joined by a very special guest here on this Thursday episode as we welcome on Jesse Marshall, Penguins writer for The Athletic. Jesse, how's it going today? Good. It's always good to be with the Knicks. (laughs) We appreciate you coming on, and we want to just get right into it because the Penguins, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on with this team. A large portion of that is because of the bottom six. It is struggled throughout this entire stretch and it's put a lot more pressure on the top end of the lineup. So what I wanted to ask you, Jesse, is how much will the returns of guys like Jeff Carter and Teddy Bluger be able to help out the bottom half of this lineup? I don't think a lot, frankly. Um, I don't think Jeff Carter has it. Um, you know, in the time that we've seen him, you know, he's not really been able to carry the play much, um, kind of, you know, getting caved in. I think he's been a streaky scorer, which the streakiness has come in handy sometimes, right? Like it's, it's, I think there's been opportune moments for him um, in his time here where the scoring has coincided with moments where they've needed it. But overall, I just don't think it's enough. And, and I love what Teddy does, um, you know, defensively. I think he's still, you know, I think, I think the, the magic of Bluger, Aston Reese, and Tanev is certainly no longer around. Um, and his defensive results have taken a step back individually as a result of that environment not being the same. Um, however, um, you know, again, if you're looking for more offense, t- Teddy is not going to help you, right? Um, that's really not – depth scoring isn't really something that, that he hangs his hat on. So I, I question how, how – mm, I'm not, I'm not intimating anything with this by any stretch of the imagination. Let me be very clear. This is my own question that I'm asking. But, like, I get, you know, Ron Hextall signs Kapanen, right? He, he obviously wants him back. But I don't get the impression that Mike Sullivan, like, super feels the same way uh, if you follow the ice time trends and the fact that, that, you know, he was basically an extra today or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, I just, for me, um, I think that there's, you know, you look at Brock McGinn, you look at Kapanen. You look at Carter. Um, I, I think Danton Heinen's probably the one guy right now down in that bottom six you look at and you say, okay, like, I feel like you can rely on him to give you a couple even strength goals every now and then on a pretty consistent, not a consistent basis, but a semi-consistent basis. I don't see that, um, you know, really in like a lot of other places uh, within the lineup and uh, that bottom six specifically. So, um, you know, getting healthy, I think is only important. Um you know, if the if it's healthy in, in, in impactful areas, right? Um, and, and unfortunately, just for the Penguins, it just really hasn't been. Yeah, and one of the other drawbacks for the Penguins so far, obviously the bottom six, but both special teams units uh, have struggled. I mean, with Teddy Bluger come back, coming back, what kind of help does he bring to the penalty kill? But on the flip side, what's what's been up with this power play? Like, is there any sort of new scheme or concept that could work? Or is it just really a matter of shooting the puck more? Yeah, I just I, that's it. I mean, it's so I, to me, I I think that the one commonality you run into with this unit specifically, right, is the structure that they have chosen, right, 
it, it lends itself to really aggressive penalty killing units from the opposing team bullying them to the exterior of the ice, right? Really like low percentage areas. And then the, the deference starts. Well, I'm not going to do it and you can do it. And then we start playing patty cake on the outside of the ice and, and everybody's like disharmonious. I, I So I don't know if it's, you know, I, I think it's personnel right now more than it's system. Um, I would change it. I would go simpler. Um, you're going to have to just suck it up and i know you want to have all the horses you know up on the up on the top unit and all the big guns in the same spot but that's just not going to work right now um i know a lot of people like I, you know when you it, sometimes i think people have a tendency to oversimplify when it comes to this stuff but it really is as easy in this case mm -hmm. as shoot and force the defense to react to you right because when you don't do that you give them the ability to dictate the pace at which the game's playing. I did like an article a couple weeks ago from McKean's on the Islanders penalty kill and like how supremely aggressive it is and protects these really important areas that other teams want to get to. And the only way to really break that up is to go high low with your movement, get get pucks on net and, and make them scramble, right? Make them react. And the Penguins just don't do that at all. And I think, you know, Bluger really helps the penalty kill from the perspective of his spatial awareness because there's just so much, you know, I think, just defensive zone, just don't even worry about the penalty, whether we're on the penalty kill or not. Like, defensive zone period, there's just no spatial awareness. If you take a, like a, a straight line and divide the defensive zone in half, right, between the circles, right, the system is, that's basically what it does. It zones the defensive zone out. We call it a, you call it one of a million names, a strong side overload, is a puck side overload, whatever the hell you want to call it. It's all the same thing, right? It's all describing the same thing. You draw a line down the middle of the ice, and when the, when the Penguins have things sort of like um, located in one side, they're fine. But when it switches and you have to change your overload over, and your your players are rotating in transition in the D zone, they just they have no idea what's going on. And I just think it's like, it's not so much of like a lack of direction because this has been the system since 2015. It's never changed. I've been doing the same thing the whole time. It's just a like lack of awareness, puck watching. Somebody else will get to it. Um, you know, like going down on one knee and sliding around for 25 feet. You know, like this is not the stuff you get from like an engaged team. So like, I do think Bluger helps you there to, to answer your question. Mm -hmm. It's a modicum. Right, it's a moderate amount. It, like I think that the defense is really where the disaster's been, um, and that that has got to be the thing that gets figured out here. Speaking of that defense, I, I think Brian Dumlin has received the brunt of this fan base's anger. You had a really good piece on him last week that I read that just kind of describes where he is lacking. And certainly the the unfortunate part is he's lacking in areas where he used to excel at. So do you think that those bad habits you see in his game right now? or something that he's going to be able to turn around and then elevate his current play to get back to his old standard? Or is this the Brian Dumlin that we now see is, is what he's going to be? This is it. Yeah, I think this is what you get now. And I think that the challenge is for Mike Sullivan has been to bounce. Where does it fit now? Like, where do I put him? Where's the best spot for him? Because it's not on the top pairing anymore, I don't think. Um, it doesn't. And if you think about it logistically, guys, does that let Latang be Latang? Not really, right? Like, if his... I, if his goal is to be this like adventurous you know offensive oriented defense that's almost a fourth forward um you know the, i think his perception of how he needs to play changes if he doesn't have the confidence in his partner not to say that Latang has been like this unstoppable you know world beater he's got his own flaws that he's got to work out simultaneously but the traditional dichotomy 
that we've seen why that pairing works is just it seems like it's completely out of funk and i think with a little less ice time with a little less burden uh, with a little less in the way of competition uh you can kind of help guide dumoulin back um it was look what it did with poj you know that 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 those lower deployments can be such a confidence booster um you know it's you know you're taking the skill-based matchmaking out to use a gaming term and you're you're kind of giving giving them the easies right and and i think that's really that's what's needed you know i think that's really where you know right you get into this like over complicating trends thing um where i think over time um you start you you lose your second nature you start to think about the game too much you start to over process information when I, you look at Duman, it's not, you know, I think everybody's thing was, well, he's had these injuries and he's been beat up and his speed isn't the same. And while it's all true and you can see all that, like a lot of these mistakes aren't specific to that being the problem. Like these are things that are like, again, coverages, like, you know, getting himself out of position. Like these are all like, you know, I don't think they're just tied to speed. So uh, I think that's the change of scenery. I think it's time to, to try to, to reimagine things. And, you know, luckily... You know, they have a guy in, in Marcus Pedersen who's basically doing what Brian Dumoulin used to do three, four years ago, and they have the opportunity to give that a try. Yeah, and it's kind of leading into what I was going to get to is Dumoulin aside, what have you liked or disliked about uh, the rest of this uh, defensive core? Because it's a lot of new guys, and they all seem to be doing something very new to this uh, to this team. Yeah, I think POJ seems to be confident. You know, that's good. Um I think he's deserved the bump in ice time. I think everybody feels that way, frankly. Um, I think where he really struggled last year was in those instances where the game would flip on him and all he'd be, you know, in the offensive mindset and all of a sudden he's got to pivot and go play D and then the assignments that you have to pick up on the fly and in the breakout and, and making sure your spatial awareness is there. Um, you know, I think that's stuff that he's had to grow into probably um, a better performance from him than I expected. Um, I didn't think he'd flounder in that third pairing role by any stretch of the imagination, but I didn't think he'd be that good. So it's a good, good sign. Um, Jan Root is fine. I think he's been fine, right? Like, uh, it is what it, he is, what he is, you know, he's mm-hmm. sort of your prototypical, um, unassuming type of defenseman. Um, I think it's, uh, fair to call Jeff Petrie a disappointment at this point yet it's early. I mean, we don't can't get carried away here. He's spent way too much time in the penalty box. I mean, really at the end of the day, like it's hard to evaluate him and, and, put those penalties on the shelf and take them out of the equation. That's the first step, I think, is just get out of the box, stay stay at five on five. And, um, you know, I do, I do think he's brought a physical element to the net front. I don't think it's translated into the stats much. Um, I don't think we've really seen a net benefit from it. Um, so, you know, up and down, like Latang, I think I don't really think has found his center. Um, I think it's some really, really, by that, I mean, like, you know, not, not, the position like you know mm-hmm. personally i don't i just you know the, the first the first when they went on that run early and they were scoring six goals a night i think the, he had some really strong performances in there but then as time has gone on as the losing streak is extended like there's been some nights where he's just been in a funk so th- i feel like they have a lot of capable bodies right um i just don't know that they've got them like the most harmonious balance for them yet i don't know they found that the pairings that really work and it always stinks too when like john marino is like one of the best you know top five defensemen in the national hockey league which nobody mm-hmm. you know i think saw coming this year but um um again like this isn't a situation where you need to go out and find people right you need to find the right use for the people you have and i think that's always an easier job than the alternative mm-hmm. 
And with that, we're starting to see Mike Sullivan lose his patience with that uh, original deployment the way that he had it for a certain amount of time, which, yeah, he gave them about 10, 15% of the season. And when things don't get any better and they continue to stay the way they are, you understand why Sullivan tries a couple different things. I mean, Saturday, uh, he put Pedersen on the line in the first period, or P.O. Joseph on the, on Latang's wing on the first period, Pedersen on the line in the second period, just trying different things to get a spark on the defensive side. And and when it comes down to it, if you don't, Tristan Jari is usually the one that has to, to face the brunt of the consequences for that. He's taken a lot higher percentage of high danger chances over the last couple of games. And he's really struggled in the third period this season. And as a, as a result, he has an 882 save percentage in the final frame, which is just not enough. It's his worst period statistically so far this season. So how worried are you about his performance or do you put a lot of that on the defensive performance? Um, two separate answers to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, second half. No, he's been below the line that like we have data that separates that out and accounts for environment. So if we look at like, you know, goals saved above average, for instance, like creates this utopian, you know, number that a league average goalie would have allowed or, or, or prevented X number of goals over your performance. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's below the line. He is. So, and it stinks. It's volatile. It's not a great place to play right now. You know, as far as being a <laughs> goaltender goes, but like he, I've, and I've said this on Twitter, like, I think even before I looked this data up and before I like started, because like, it really wasn't until today that I even started thinking about goaling, goaltending statistics. Cause you need like a certain margin of sample size for me to, even consider it as like you know on anything other than anecdotal and i feel like we just kind of like put our toe over that threshold but um even before i looked at the numbers i would have told you i think he needs you just it's hard to ask this right and it's looking to feel selfish but like there are times where you need a save mm-hmm. right like you just need one circumstances and expected goals be damned like you just need it and then they haven't gotten it in the streak so Stinks. I feel like there were games earlier in the year when they were winning where he was lights out and was one of the best goalies in the league, but th- times have changed. So I think he's just another one that um, needs to find his center again. And I think he's better than some of the recent performances he's put out, acknowledging again that the environment's been a little bit volatile. But I think there's there's a little bit more that I think that they need from him right now, especially, you you know, that one of the ways you get out of a streak like this is goaltending, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the ways you can get pulled out of it is a game that the guy stands on his head gives you two points you probably didn't deserve that night and all of a sudden you come the next the rink the next day everybody's got a different attitude so um yeah uh below the line for me right now yeah it's it hasn't been pretty but i mean good or bad overall like i said it could be good or bad what has surprised you the most about this team this year whether it be a player or um how coaching has gone just what has been the most shocking part of the season um Hmm. Well, shock. Okay. I'm going to start with a more obvious one then I think like right out of the gate and it's just how good that top six has been. Um, I think despite like all the things talked about them needing help and like needing, um, which is true. They do. Right. But it's kind of cool that you could take Rust and, and Raquel and interchange them um, in these positions. And it doesn't really seem to matter all that much. Um, I think Jason Zucker has been really good um, so far. Um, finding scoring areas, you know, seems to have a lot more initiative. Um more willing to put the puck on the net uh, that's helped immensely uh that i think has been uh, the real strength of, the, of everything so far is that, that you know you you have a really interchangeable top six that you could swap around and, and you know mix and match based on 
um, what you need that evening. Um, and I think they, they've looked good. If they can get help and they can keep – their status quo with more help is a great situation for this team. Um, mm-hmm. We just – you know, that, that's, that's the challenge, I think, for the coaching staff is, is trying to get them there, right? The one thing I wanted to finish this off with, Jesse, thank you again for giving us your time this afternoon. We always appreciate uh, you coming on to the show, but I'm very, No, and very... I appreciate it, but so that your listeners know, too, you gave me a little bit of grace today. I have a toddler, so it's always a little bit difficult sometimes to be on time <laughs> for things, so I really appreciate that. Oh, of course. Like, we understand that completely. Uh, we, when we were sitting here talking, honestly, we basically had a show before the show, uh, just complaining about the practice from earlier today. But Horowat, I'm very happy you wore that hat, because I wanted to ask Jesse... The Pittsburgh Monopoly board was unveiled last week. The two colleges were Carnegie Mellon and Pitt. Should we join together as voices of Point Park and just make a petition to get the Point Park University on the Monopoly board? Here's the thing. Like, I, I just, to me, like, if you're logistically building the Pittsburgh Monopoly board and, you, and Wood Street makes an appearance, you're remiss to not have Point Park. And I don't know if Wood Street shows up. I haven't looked at the board. But if there's a Wood Street on that Monopoly board, or even I mean, the Boulevard of the Allies, I'll even give you that. Uh, either one, and you don't have Point Park, that's a huge mistake. It's a huge I, mistake. They belong there. Yeah, I forget what exactly is on the board. I didn't think it no was No disrespect great. meant to Duquesne. I, I love my Duquesne friends, but, you know. That's the other thing, too. I was going to say, if anything, Duquesne should get on before Point Park. Just going to put put that one out there. Um, but it wasn't a but pretty Nobody board, has our space though, Nick. That's the You're thing, right. right? Like we dominate that downtown space. Like Oakland's full. It's very busy up there. Yes. Pick one of them. They're fine. We're, du- we're like a landmark, you know? Cause Duquesne did a good job of sheltering themselves off from the rest of the city. That's right. With yeah. that hill yeah. and those fences yeah. and then the road. <laughs> yeah. But all they haven't made as far as going to games is concerned, man. Like you, you, you live in Duquesne and yeah. there's nothing better in the world than being able to walk two blocks over to the arena and yeah. they always had the advantage because you know back in the day back when i was a kid you know you could go and like <laughs> go to the student rush line a day early yeah like and mm-hmm. get a ticket but then like they changed that and then you had to wait in line but you always had to fight the duquesne kids off because yeah. they literally right there a home field advantage for every student rush game yeah one of one of my friends who works uh with uh jen Bolano now she goes to duquesne and lives direct literally directly across the street from the arena there's yeah, an see, apartment complex right there. That. She's able you gotta to get a tent right or something there. if you want to get out there early enough <laughs> yeah. to get yourself a ticket. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe also Peppies and Permanis would like a word with Millie's ice cream for getting on there over those two. So, you know, the decisions were interesting. Yeah. No Permanis? Yeah. That's crazy to me. It was a weird Peppies board. is something that I would be, I you know, you know me, I love Peppies, but um, that's shocking to hear that there's no Permanis. I've never, you know, I've never had Millie's ice cream. Before. Neither have I. Me neither. Yeah, I, I don't even. Yeah. And the three of us all lived downtown for multiple years. Really? Yeah. Babies? No kidding. Like we were in downtown. <laughs> there wasn't a lot I didn't experience down there. Does, yeah. does Mandarin Gourmet have a square? No. No. No, it does not. You know, they just basically wiped off the corner of Real and World and Point Park University and everything surrounding it. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> what was the name? Did you guys ever go? We always do this to get off like a tangent. <laughs> Did you guys ever go to the buffet that was on the uh, it's on Wood Street, but on the other end, and it was on the third floor of a building? Uh, no. I'll send you a link to the place after we're done. I'll DM it to you on Twitter. It's still there. I I it was at least it recently is like 2017, 18, because uh, I stopped there and got rec- got lunch. But I don't even know what it's called. But it's literally like you just walk into this nondescript building. <laughs> like downtown on Wood Street, you wouldn't like it's just an office. But then like eventually you meander around far enough, 
take these stairs up two flights and then there's this whole bu- it's a buffet with hmm. multiple stations and ice cream machine it's unreal so i'll say if you've never been let me put you on stop on your way up to a game one day you won't regret it that's just about to be the launch it's spot yeah yeah <laughs> The last thing I want to ask you, Jesse, before we let you go, Evgeny Malkin's 1,000th game is coming up here in a couple weeks. I just want to know, what is your favorite memory of watching Evgeny Malkin with the Pittsburgh Penguins? Full clock slapper uh, in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Richards, I think, was the one that hit him, right? Yeah, Buried him in the boards, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Joel Beninati accused him of cherry picking. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so he gets blown up behind the net. Like picks himself up off the ice, like drags himself back through the offensive zone, tags up, and then as as he tags up, I think it was Sergey Gonchar, right? I believe so. Yeah, saw him coming back and like made this stupid pass, um, and then he caught it, and he had all day. He's one of those ones where he could have gone to goal at back and then back again, like in gone, like, you know what I mean, like hit that much mm-hmm. time. Uh, but he just wound up on Marty Biron and let one rip from point blank range at about 150 miles an hour. And it was just one of those ones. It was like he was so mad from having gotten blown up like that, you know, that uh, you know, he was just going to let her rip. But that's one of my favorites. And then I think, um, you know, just the random games against Winnipeg that he got in fights. You oh know, like God, what is yeah. that? I don't understand. Like there are just certain teams. Like Tampa was one early on. You know. Uh, in the 011, like 2011 to 011, 12, 11, 12-ish area, mm-hmm. he would go off against them, have like these six-point nights with fisticuffs flying around. And you never understood, like, what is it that went on down there that night that like caused all that to happen? But um, that's, that's probably the two that just stand out to me the most. They're really um, trademark signature, like, umphy moments. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's so funny because, like, with the benefit of, like, hindsight, we always expected like Crosby to be the more Lemieux like player, but I don't ever think that that was really the case. Like cerebrally, sure, yes, but from a physical prowess perspective, you know, like seventy-one and sixty-six were always way more in line because they had that like "I'll bully you over" mentality uh, when they had the puck on their stick. So uh, I don't know. There's just a couple ones for me that I always think mm-hmm. about as being just uh, you know fun times. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for for giving us your time and joining us here on the show. We'll have to have you back sometime a little bit later in the season, but let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and anything coming up for you on any of the publications that you post for now that you're you're on multiple. Yeah, so uh, at jmarshfof on the Twitter machine, uh, I'm still doing the Penguins for the Athletic. That's not changed. Uh, mm. I mentioned we did the Dumoulin piece last week, but I'm also doing non-Penguins work at McKean's, which is my first time writing about anything outside the national hockey league um so we covered the islanders in their power play um last week we're going to look at the avalanche power uh, the penalty kill excuse me we're going to look at the avalanche power play and how they managed to score a goal basically every time they get one um uh this week and the answers they're all really good players but um that's just not the only thing you have to be able to do the right things when you have really good players and their strategy is pretty on point as well so Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back on this episode to close things out by giving a quick preview of this weekend's matchups. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com and you can find us either at Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts from, or on Inside the Penguins on YouTube, where you can watch our full video versions. And guess what? We are 10. 
10 subscribers away from giving out a free Teddy Bluger signed Penguins jersey. So if you want an opportunity to win a Teddy Bluger signed jersey, make sure you subscribe to Inside the Penguins on YouTube. One last thank you to Jesse Marshall for talking to us. Obviously, we mentioned the penalty kill, the power play, Tristan Jari, all those things. Very fun conversation. And, and honestly, we always end up talking about Point Park or downtown Pittsburgh in some capacity. So we hope everybody enjoyed that as well. But let's finish off this episode by looking at the Penguins weekend and previewing the back-to-back -back matchups that they have in Eastern Canada, starting off with a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Friday. Now, the Leafs are 7-4-3, and and that is good for second in the Atlantic Division. And last season, the Penguins, they did have a winning record against the Leafs. And both of those wins came with really impressive defensive performances. A 7-1 win in Pittsburgh and a 2-0 win in Toronto. So the Penguins have been able to shut down the Leafs' high-powered offense in the past. They'll have to look to do the same thing on Friday against the Leafs team that is very, very dangerous at home with a 5-1-1 record. Horwat, when you look at this matchup, obviously the big four for the Leafs is the focal point on the other side, but what do the Penguins have to do to continue their winning ways that they started in Washington? They have to hold on to their momentum, play the correct defense, and also, for the love of God, a power play goal would be nice every now and again, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I think... Wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. Like, yeah, you're, the puck luck is great with that uh, goal from Zucker and really a squib goal from McGinn uh, <clears throat> on the penalty kill. It's good to get a shorthanded goal to help turn the tides as well, but Man, just this power play is awful. Three attempts, two mm -hmm. shots, just not straight up not good enough. Yeah. Mike Sullivan's been preaching this whole time about getting a shot first mentality. All right, well, you just had six whole minutes and you recorded two shots. Mm -hmm. Two. And I don't remember how good or bad they were. Um, no. It didn't seem like their attempts were even getting through. So it's uh, it's a brutal look. It's time for just simplifying the game there and doing anything they can to create an opportunity if so i would say a key to a key for the game in toronto is going to be continuing their momentum and building off of a putrid power play right now building something onto it not off of it onto it do something yeah yeah, it was one of the few things that wasn't working or wasn't improved in that game against the Washington Capitals. But everything else uh, looked pretty good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they just got to continue to carry that over because the Leafs, they've strung together some, some really good wins here. They're 3-0-1 since having a really bad Western trip in California and Nevada. But their three wins, two of them against Boston and Carolina in back-to-back -back games last weekend, they're playing really good hockey. They did fall to the uh, Vegas Golden Knights a little earlier in the week in overtime on home ice. But they're playing really well. Their stars are doing their thing. And they're doing it despite really big injuries to their goaltenders. Ilya Samsonov was looking really good in his first season in Toronto. He got injured last week. They're not sure of the timetable for him. Matt Murray is also working his way back from injury. So that leaves Eric Kalgren to potentially be their starter on Friday night. He has an 890 save percentage, 299 goals allowed average, a minus 2.3 goals saved above average, and has a record of 1-1-3. So they're down to their third goalie potentially against the Penguins. You have to take advantage of that. Like you mentioned, not just on the power play, just in general. 
get shots to the net because we've seen it so many times already this season when the Penguins take on either a backup goaltender or a young goaltender, they just aren't challenging them enough. And hopefully that that tide shifts on Friday if they end up facing Colgren. Yeah, him or if they're able to, you know, see that he's not even their fourth string guy, I think. He's like their fifth string guy. I can't remember his name now, but there's some not good things going on at the Toronto Maple Leafs goalies and it is that's it just take advantage of them get shots on net they're not experienced they're not as experienced as they'd like to be between the pipes right now uh and even if matt murray or samsonov were in i think it's the same situation just get the pucks on net because a that's how you're going to improve your own momentum and build your own uh opportunities but also these aren't the same goalies uh that we've been used to matt murray is like i said even if he was playing um, we know he's not, you know, 16, 17 vintage anymore. It's, you know, this injury riddled guy who's just had a tough break throughout his career. And that sucks for him. Um, and Sam sort of, we can beat, we have before and why not try again? Um, mm-hmm. but if we're down to it and it's this new guy, yeah, just, um, how much experience does he have in total? He played a lot last year. Did he not? 14 games. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I know he played a handful of games. I don't know if I would I would say it was a lot, but, you know, if it is Matt Murray that's in net, maybe you should try going high gloves. Hey-o. Yeah. The joke's right I, themselves. Heard, I, I, I've heard that that might be an area of issue uh, for, for Sir Matt Murray. Uh, but let's look at their lineup because whenever I see it, obviously people mention... You know, they're top-heavy, they have a really good top of the lineup, but they've really done a good job at filling this lineup out. Obviously, Zach Aston-Reese is on their fourth line. Uh, This is somebody that the Penguins fans will be familiar with, but the line that I want to look at is that third line. Like I mentioned earlier, the Penguins' fourth line against the Capitals got no shot attempts. The third line was okay, but going up against the third line of Pierre Engvall, Michael Bunting, and Callie Yarncroke, I think that is a sneaky good death piece. Uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and if the Penguins aren't careful, that is the line that I think could hurt them on on Friday night because everybody's obviously going to talk about it's Matthews, it's Marner, Nylander, T- Tavares, and all those players. Nick Robertson gets a lot of headlines, but that third line of Engvall, Bunting, and Yarncroke, I think it's a sneaky good line. It could be. It, those are names for sure. It's um, Michael Bunting did what he did last year, and I, he's not the same player, that's for sure, but no. Callie Yarncroke is there to be one of the new faces. This team needed some changes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mainly the changes probably needed to come with that main four. At, sorry, mm-hmm. five, if you want to count Riley. Uh, and they didn't. They refused to do that. So they had to do some cosmetic changes to the exterior. And, well, he's one of them. He's one of their pieces along with a, uh, a Zach Aston Reese and De- bringing back Dennis Mulligan. So we'll see how they do. That's those are guys that they wanted to lean on as um, proper additions rather than tearing it down like they may need to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the issues of the Toronto Maple Leafs are things to talk about in the offseason just because always yeah. during the regular season, uh, things are fine. Things look fine. Yeah. yeah, things do. And this is once again the time of the year where I will come out and flat out say that their Hall & Oates song is one Hell of a goal song, Horwat. I know you don't agree, but I always have to bring it up. Yikes, no. But when you look at the underlying numbers, they're pretty even between the Penguins and and the the Toronto Maple Leafs. And when you think about the way that these two teams play, it usually is a pretty even matchup as well. Both like the high-flying offenses, both have very good top-tier talent 
And both of them sometimes have some defensive issues. Toronto's penalty kill, also struggling. Uh, 22nd in the National Hockey League, whereas the Penguins have bumped up to 24th uh, with their, their two performances in the past two games. Uh, the only big advantage will be the, the Toronto Maple Leafs power play. It is 10th in the National Hockey League with obviously all the firepower we've mentioned. So the Penguins will have to keep an eye on that. And like I said, going into the game against the, the Capitals, you got to stay disciplined. Now they took four penalties against the Caps, uh, but they were able to go out there and shut things down. You don't want to keep tempting fate with these teams with very high-powered power plays. That's that's for sure. But Horwat, you took the lead again on Wednesday in the Pens Predictor, so I'm behind you once again. Pens Predictor, Penguins versus Toronto Maple Leafs. Who do you got? I'll take the Penguins again just because uh, I do think we continue to build on the momentum because we cannot continue to play from behind. We have to start regaining our ground, regaining the uh, regaining the momentum. You know, sure the Capitals win was good, and you could probably find a catalyst in there, but uh, that catalyst cannot be confirmed until we gain the right momentum and gain the right firepower. So, for the Penguins, I say they pick up the victory. Man, it's gonna be another. Depending on who's in net, I would like to change the score, but um, and I'm always gonna be wrong with the score. If I ever nail a score, that'd be great, but I'm never going to. Uh, how's about the old four to one victory again? Why not two straight? Four to one victory. Alrighty. Well, you were close yesterday, by the way. You you predicted a four to two Pens victory, and they won four to one. So, I, I also forget uh, what I say every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't keep track of whether or not we're right on the goals. We just give that for a little a uh, little extra. I do think that there is four goals scored in this game, but I do, however, think that it's gonna be by the Toronto Maple Leafs. I have the Penguins actually losing this one, uh, four to three. Now I know what everybody's gonna say. You're a party pooper. They've turned it around. Why do you got to kill the vibe, Nick? Well, I'm realistic. And when I look at this, I think the Penguins are going in the right direction. But I also see a Toronto Maple Leafs team that, despite their goaltending issues, is really going in the right direction and playing some really good hockey. It's a tough game. It's the front end of a back-to-back. -back. I'll catch you on the backswing here. But I do think they, they fall to the Toronto Maple Leafs on Friday. Now, let's quickly talk about the Canadians before we say goodbye for the weekend. The Habs are 7-6-1, six, 6 in the Atlantic Division. The Penguins will be there on Saturday night at Bell Center. This is the second matchup of the season. Penguins fell to the Habs 3-2 in overtime earlier in the season with a blown lead in the final minutes of the game. I thought that game was pretty evenly matched. Uh, the Penguins did, however, keep the Montreal Canadiens to the outside, similar to what they did against the Washington Capitals. So being able to do that is going to be very important in this game as well. Uh, the leadership core of Suzuki, Caulfield, and Doc killed the Pens. They were all three goal scorers last time. So clearly those are the guys to keep an eye on. They're all three the leading scorers for the Habs. And then there's one last matchup that I'll talk about, but I'll let you uh, really quickly give your thoughts on this matchup before we uh, give our predictor and get out of here for the day. It's an interesting matchup. They are a young team who, I mean, they were definitely supposed to have uh, higher expectations than what they had last year just because new coach, new year, um, and they were just historically bad last year. Uh, yeah. So things were going to get turned around, even if it was slightly. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Peng if if the Penguins are able to play like they did against them last time and just even a little bit better, maybe just one more line helps produce a little bit, they're the better team. You know, it's quite simple that the Penguins are are better than the Canadians, and I could see them, if you want to jump into the predictors here, pulling off another victory here. Actually getting their win in Montreal like they deserve, not letting it slip away and head to overtime. So... 
I bet that's another Casey DeSmith game. I think uh, Jari will go in Toronto and then DeSmith in Montreal. So uh, another uh, victory for the Penguins. You don't want to put a score on it, do you? No, it's too far away. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to put us. Like I said, we're not keeping track of these. I, I, I just, I just like giving a score prediction, seeing if I get it right. Um, before I give my prediction, the one matchup that I'm very excited to see: Sidney Crosby versus Caden Gooley, because we saw that in the first matchup, and Gooley actually performed extremely well. Not often do you see a young guy go head to head with Crosby and be able to not only just hold his own, but to kind of shut Sid down. And that's what Gooley was able to do in that first matchup. He played him well. Crosby's line had 36% of the shot attempts, only 48% of the expected goals for, and only 47% of the scoring chances for. And that is even more impressive when you consider what they were able to do around those games. In the first two, they absolutely blew the doors off of both the Coyotes and the Lightning. And in the following two games, they did the same thing to the Kings and to the Blue Jackets. And it was Sid's line that was dominant in all of those games. So when that line was going strong, and at that point it had Raquel on it, when that line was going at its strongest this season, Caden Gooley, with the help of obviously everybody else, as I punch my microphone, with the help of everybody else, was able to shut down Sidney Crosby. So I'm interested to see how Crosby reacts and responds to that because Sid's going to know that going in. Like, Sid's going to have that vendetta. That's the type of competitor he is. We saw what he did against Matty Beneers because Matty Beneers' line had a really good game in the first game against the Penguins, and guess what Crosby did? He basically called ISO on Matty Beneers. There were times that the broadcast said every time Beneers stood up to go over the ice, Sid was immediately up saying, my line's going next. And he did kind of victimize Beneers on a couple of occasions, just absolutely shutting that line down. So, we know Sid's going to want his revenge. I want to see what Caden Gooley's able to do in Part 2. With that, we're in agreement there. Pens win. I'm going to give it a score. I say it's 6 to 2. I like the predictions. I like it. It's a good it's I'll take 50 uh I'll take 500 out of this little swing into Canada and back-to-back nights, especially if the win comes in that second half. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing with that. I did predict a loss on Friday. I don't think the Penguins play poorly. I just think the Toronto Maple Leafs are that team right now. So I think the Penguins build off that momentum and then now we go. Against the Canadians, now we go. They head in. I think they have a really good back half of November if they can build off of what they did in Washington. I see them continuing to build, but I don't think they get all four points. I just think they do. I think it's time for them to start return, you know, returning the favor and gaining the ground that they've lost. And you know, you need to gain some ground whenever, like I said before, a few weeks ago, a lot of the games are on the road this month. Yep, they haven't been. They haven't looked pretty on the road so far this year, and now is the time to gain the momentum, play the right way, and exercise all of the demons that might be sitting around this year. Yeah, get them all out of the way now. You know, finish off the month strong. Go into December, January, and February looking like one of the hottest teams in the league. And next thing you know, we look at that seven-game skid early on as just one of those early season hiccups that uh, we learned from. Yep. Battle through. Well, we'll see if the Penguins can continue their uh, their impressive play in Canada this weekend. Pens versus Leafs on Friday. Pens versus Habs on Saturday, because of course they play on every Saturday for the first three months of the season. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you again to Jesse Marshall of The Athletic for joining us 
and keep an eye out for next week because we're going to have some special episodes dropping as the week progresses. But that's going to do it for this one. Have a great weekend, Pens fans.